You're listening to the Friends Talking Nerdy Podcast Network. Friends Talking Nerdy! Welcome to the TNT Review. This is Tim Jausma, and joining me all the way in Portland, Maine, it is Here Holiness, the Reverend Tracy. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. I've got an interesting work week, so I wound up being home all day on a Monday. So it's like I had a bonus Sunday to be extra lazy, <laughs> except, you know, in my world, it looks like uh, my laziness is looking up Excel spreadsheet tips. <laughs> doing budget and like making a wish list of items for down the road in life that I, you know, cause I can't impulse buy anything. So I just make lists and just watch things stay or go off of that list over time. Yeah. That's like <laughs> your version of like a drinking problem that others would have. You know? <laughs> right. Like, but instead it's like the person who has the drinking problem is you just make a list of all the alcohol you want to buy and you never actually buy it. It's just like fireball. I don't want that anymore. Like why, why did I even think that I wanted that but uh you know except I struggle with things like kitchen gadgets like I'm still (laughs) drooling over this one thing called the almond cow and one of these days I might actually buy it but until then I've just been doinking around on my 3d printer back at that again uh printing accessories for the printer which I think is hilarious just to be able to do that um but yeah getting back into kind of some rhythm after being gone for a week and then feeling like I needed an entire week to recover from being gone for a week. Yeah. Yeah, kind of oh, uh, well kind of uh, in the same boat here. This is the week that school starts up again and um it was nice being able to start one of my literature classes and being told, you know, hey, you get to watch a PBS documentary to start off and I'm like darn oh darn what are they gonna do with me um but i am so happy about the classes i'm uh, taking this semester you know being able to focus on the creative side of things uh is definitely going to be good for me and definitely definitely excited for that yeah see good times all around Indeed, indeed. And also speaking of good times, we have F is for Family, Episode 5 from Season 1. It is Bill Murphy's Day Off. Yes, I love this episode. There's a lot that happens in this episode that sets some tones for Bill. Um, But it's one of those, you know, I I was such a goody two-shoes. I don't think I've ever been suspended. Or and like I can't think of any time that I ever was like you need to go home. I've been sent to the principal's office quite a, quite a number of times, mm-hmm. but I never crossed that line of like being told you need to go home and you're not going to be at school at all today. Like I couldn't figure out how to be that bad. 
Um, I, for me, it was only one time that that happened. It was 10th grade and, um, I had switched to a new school. And so me with my social skills, I absolutely excelled everybody. No, I didn't. Um, and, uh, so ended up uh, skipping a lot of school, just hanging out at a diner that, you know, would, would sell a six foot five, 14 year old coffee and, um, ended up, uh, ended up uh, having to repeat like one math class, but that was it. You know, I mean, I, I I didn't dig myself too much of a hole that it affected me from, you know, graduating, graduating at my normal time. It was a bump, bump in the road, but it was for an in-house. I did get an in two day in-house suspension at school. Um, and it was funny. Cause I do remember like um, halfway through it, I'm just sitting there just like reading or something. And then um, I just got the idea that it would be funny to start kicking the heater. I did. And then someone else got in trouble for it because they didn't think I was the one that did it. <laughs> so. and, and you just let that kid go to detention or whatever. You, no, you he was already in det- He was already in detention and I guess he got an additional day. I didn't care. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, that answers that question. You let him get the additional punishment. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, back then, I mean, I'm not going to expect kids, especially like with, with the lack of emotional regulation that we're taught then in our ages, especially like I, I wouldn't have expected you to turn around and be like, yeah, I'll totally do the right thing. And yeah. like, own that this was me understand that this isn't going to be something that results in my death or dismemberment, like that. I'm just going to have an extra day of detention. But nope, you let that other kid rot in your place, showing yeah. exactly what is wrong with our prison system. <laughs> yep, I just walked out, you know, deuces and, you know, <laughs> have fun with the extra day of D that you did not deserve D for and deserve D. and detention. Yeah. Well, on that note, speaking of that, I think that is a good segue to dive into our topics for this episode here. And the first one is the double standard in society when a sister helps her brother out when he is being bullied. And that is a Bill and Maureen's story at the beginning of the episode. Uh, Bill has issues with a school bully and his sister comes to his defense. Right. And it's kind of cute in a way because we've seen this family where they come together at the end of the day and pretty much kind of embrace that fun and dysfunctional thing that I personally have been peeved with over time. But they kind of do it in a way that always kind of I find endearing. Like I I normally like it. Like I I don't feel like they're so far off in a way that it's like unexplainable. You know, like a lot of the issues with Bill or uh, sorry, with Frank, like is seemingly to do with like his PTSD and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But um, they ultimately are a family unit and they stick together. Like they, <laughs> they do that, I think in this episode later at the very end of it. But um, so with that theme, it really wasn't surprising at all that Maureen would want to run in and jump in. I don't know how many opportunities she's had to actually see like a family member of hers be in danger, But, you know, something that we've talked about very recently on our other show, the Friends Talking Nerdy podcast, is this whole emotional hijack thing, right? Mm -hmm. So we've talked about this phenomenon. We know it exists. This isn't something that we made up for the purposes of the show or Will Smith smacking somebody. Yeah, we're not Um, that smart. Yeah, I mean, Maureen probably saw her brother in a fight and just went because that's how a lot of that. I don't know what I was doing. I just acted happens the fight flight or freeze so she definitely went fight 
And yeah, he got really dogged about his sister stepping in. And that that came up later on, too, not just in the moment. Oh, yeah. There was a great line from Kevin, um, <laughs> which also brings on a, a, an additional question here. But Kevin said to Bill, um, <clears throat> you got saved by a girl, you pussy. Like, like, uh, yeah, it is just bizarre. One that, you know, you're going to goof on somebody for actually getting the help. But then two, it, I, I've always found it odd, too, that genitalia has such negative connotations when it's used as an insult. Right. It, uh, all, all across the board, you know, if being a dick, being yeah. pussy, being, you know, it's, <laughs> I don't know why we glammed onto that other than I just kind of almost have this baseline assumption that it's like the women from Venus made calling somebody a dick, a bad thing. And the men from Mars made calling someone basically whatever term for vagina being a bad thing. Like, I mean, I don't know if that comes down to any fact, but it is something that I will totally throw out there that I don't understand other than you're, I don't know if it's supposed to be a call out because I wouldn't say calling somebody a dick is calling them like opposite to their gender, but you call a man a dick and you call a man a pussy. You don't really call a woman a dick. I mean, I do. I I think (laughs) you can call anybody a dick. I believe in you. You can be a dick in spite what's between your legs. And I have called that out in my past. <laughs> um, I don't so much anymore. But yeah, it's it's a interesting thing that we do, I guess. Yeah. And I mean, there are different words for a dick. There are, there's Karen. There's you know, we call someone that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's even like before we started like making fun of people's names, which I don't super like. I try to stay away from that because you're still making it's I don't think it makes it right. Uh, especially back when I was a kid and, you know, the whole thing was every black woman was Shaniqua. Mm-hmm. And for some, especially if they had like their nails done, like, and I remember that, I remember that whole thing being said, like, I don't know if that was like across the South, but I do know in my area of Texas, when an adult person referred to some Shaniqua type person, that's what they were talking about. And I remember being really confused as a kid as to why that mattered. So I think that just kind of translates over is to one of those things I never fully understood. But I do think it's funny that again, like these only go towards men when you think about it, like the boys being called a pussy or like men being called a dick is a bad thing too, even though that's what you have got. Like, Yeah. Yeah. Well, getting back to the sister thing though, too. I mean, it, 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 it was nice seeing Maureen react the way she did because I, you know, it very much, was an honest reaction, you know, to your point, um, what did you call it? An amygdala hijack hijack or an emotional hijack. hijack, Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, that's exactly what it was. I mean, it's like, cause like, I think you've mentioned like, you know, if push comes to shove, like your brother would react the same way Maureen did. And I think, you know, if push came to shove, um, my sister would have reacted the same way if, if, you know, I were in, in that particular um, type of situation. So I guess in a way it was really, it, it, it felt real. It felt real. I, I really liked how how uh, they went about doing that, and I also liked how Bill got a lot of shit for it too because he shouldn't have. But again, honest reaction, especially for the era where where the show's taking place in the early seventies. Yeah, like I don't think that would have made sense if he hadn't been made fun of for it. Mm-hmm. Right. Because there really was like kind of this macho stereotype when it comes to dudes, you shouldn't need the help of a woman standing up for you. And if anything, you should be the one standing up for like your 
kid sister or whatever. And I was a kid sister. Um, I never stood up to anybody for my brother, though. Like, not that he was necessarily a tough guy. Granted, he could take care of his shit. Uh, Chris is calling you a pussy, dude. <laughs> I'm not calling Chris a pussy. Chris is actually not a pussy because, like, he's straight, like, he stuck a pencil in somebody's leg once, like, on the bus because he was pissed off. Like, I don't remember the full story. I mean, it wasn't deep or bad or anything, but he did. Like, he, mm-hmm. he totally went, like, I'm going to hurt somebody. My favorite, though, is, like, he totally, like, cartoon level, like, smacked some kid in the face of his lunchbox that was, like, over the seat and wouldn't leave us alone. Like, he just, like, straight, like, clocked him right in the front of the face. But, like, I can't imagine how it would have gone if I had stood up for my brother where I make that kind of relationship between like Texas being a little bit 20 years behind everybody where I felt like a kid being raised in the nineties, I very much relate to a lot of the stuff in that seventies show. So yeah, I totally don't see that playing out any other way with the kid's sister, like jumping in uh, and Maureen's scrappy. So I wouldn't even put it past her for this to be the only time. Uh, hint, hint. <laughs> Well, let's move on to the next topic then. This is going to be a quick one here, but uh, this is in regards to uh, one of the commercials. Uh, and it's the Mohican Airways commercial. And it was just how openly racist it was and how looking back at commercials uh, for, you know, from that era, from the 80s, from the 90s, you would have a lot of commercials that would have taglines similar to uh, what happened in the show. The Mohican Airways uh, tagline is your comfort is our chief concern what did you think about that (laughs) so i will let you know this is a gag they do it a lot and they are totally making fun of that they're making fun of that underlying racism behind like well the fact that they have a chief as like their mascot and it's that headdress and the bare chest and, you know, that kind of look that we've Mm -hmm. now established is a pretty racist depiction of an Indian person or a native American person, even because there's some people who really are, you know, wanting them to be referred to as native Americans Mm -hmm. um, just because of the whole thing with India being kind of one of the OG calling them by the wrong thing. Right. And not ever caring enough to correct it. So depicting a native American person as like this warrior chief with the feather headband, like is something that we have decided for a while now. That's not cool. Uh, enjoy these, enjoy them making fun of it because these come up in the background and I don't want, it's so hard. I just want to start quoting some of the commercials because they're funny. Like the, the, just the silly things they end up doing, but yeah, they're just so you know, that that is very much a very obvious dig at how we totally have done that. And we're still unpacking doing these things and like changing mascots. I mean, yeah, like it was only two years ago that Aunt Jemima finally went the way of the dodo. And like, why did that product last for as long as it did when it was so openly just just character two-dimensional character race is bad um and and you know like listening back to like old-time radio shows you know like it's amos and andy for chesterfield cigarettes and like ew 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 just just the things that that people felt they could get away with back in the day like like um yeah, it's it's great that we don't have that mindset of being that openly racist anymore, you know. 
Oh, I mean, it also comes with, you know, demographics getting a voice where they feel comfortable saying, hey, that's not cool. Because, I mean, as much as I would want to dog on people for feeling like they got away with something, a lot of times I think it's just that nobody ever told them that that was a fucked up way to think about it. And then as long as you're not heel digging to hearing news like that, I don't think you're a bad person, right? If yeah. you go like, oh, God, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't know that this depiction of an Indian chief would be offensive. You know what? Let's go to the drawing board. It's just a mascot. And that's just like kind of just making fun of the brave, the Indians mascot and stuff like that. Oh, but, yeah. You know, it, it's just it's it's silly to me that like there is such this human nature of being like resistant to being like corrective about things and the way you think about them. I was actually reading about that as a side nerd somewhat recently about anchoring bias, uh, mostly how I feel like it can make you stupid. Mm-hmm. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just kind of uh it's interesting, but yeah, I'd like that they make fun of it. So it, it, it's a little bit of a fun bit that you're going to enjoy throughout the entirety of this series. Indeed, indeed. All right. Just, just wait. Oh God, no, no I'm not going to. I'm going to ruin stuff. Go ahead, change okay, the subject. Okay, you get you get one. <laughs> you get one. You want to say one? Okay, so <laughs> I, you know what? I'll yes, I'll do one because I think it's probably very soon. But there's a point where Brandy is in a commercial. And uh, she goes to, like, at the end of the commercial for some reason, she goes, would you like a blanket? And hands it to the police, <laughs> to the, the Indian chief. And he goes, no. <laughs> <laughs> so they, they make they make jokes like that. They do so also, like, they have a lot of fun with the commercials with the airline, I think, specifically, because there's also a really good one in the last season. And that one I will not spoil. Yeah. All right. Next topic here. How tough it can be to approach a parent with bad news from school. And that's Frank and Bill's story. Um, And uh, obviously we open up with Bill getting into a fight. So he gets suspended for that. And he has to tell his father about the news. But just as he was about to do it, his father got upset. So he ultimately did not tell him. Uh, Yes, I can completely relate to this. I actually (laughs) was a little forgery artist for a little stint of middle school there uh, where I realized it was just easier. I had found a piece of paper where my mother had signed her name (laughs) and I learned how to trace, man. Like I figured out how to get like a piece of like something clear and put a flashlight behind it so that I could see it really well. And like, just, I had a whole little workshop like that I stored (laughs) under my bed and um, I got busted for it eventually. Um, I don't remember really how or why, but it just somebody finally put together, but they never put together how long I was doing it. And that's something that I never, I think I did that for a good two years. And they only said that it was this one thing that I way obviously forged. And I was like, yep. Uh-huh. The one thing you got it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I I would be lying if I uh, said I, you know, didn't forge my mother's signature at some point um, with her handwriting. I think it was rather easy to do because, um, you know, like she was still of the cursive generation and her letters were big enough that you could easily forge it. But um, I didn't do it too often because you never met my mother. Wow, she could be loud and um, getting on her bad side would would not have been good. But um, I, it, it you know, I'm, I, I don't know if my kids were able to do that with me because I mean, you've seen my handwriting, you know, my handwriting is absolute garbage. Um, but 
theirs is worse. So maybe they were were able to find something with uh, with mine. I don't know, but um, I I don't think this is you know it, like an isolated thing in in history. I think kids no. have been have been for years finding ways to you know. I, I think more than anything, it's like a it, it's a control thing. You want to have some semblance of control. Bill didn't want to have his father yelling at him for, you know, something he deserved to be yelled at for. But it's human nature to want to avoid that, you know. Well, and it's kind of funny though because you say kids find a way to do this, but people find a way to do this you think about you know not wanting to tell your partner that you spent more than your fluffy expense thing says you're allowed to spend and then you try to find a way to hide it god how many divorces probably really spurred from an overspend that that person just did not have the communication skills and either just out of fear whether it's rational or not. So you go back and you think of relationships like your boss that is like an angry motherfucker or something that you don't want to have upset. Or in our case, like my mother, also she was a physical punishment person. So like I had been spanked. So I didn't like upsetting this human because it meant (laughs) physical pain, whether or not I meant it or not. Mm-hmm. So, you know, mine was mostly like about grades and stuff that I would sign things over, but it goes back to like, that seems like a very natural thing to do when you are afraid of the response that the person you need to own up to is going to have when you're afraid of that. So I don't know, that to me is one of the things that I like kind of want to see continue to evolve in parentship is that you don't need to instill this like relationship of fear. You can be a trust source that's not like just being their buddy. Like it doesn't have to be disciplinary like necessarily in that sense. Like you can have one like a for example, with my stepkids, and I know it's a step relationship, so I own that, is I have a very strong sense of you don't have to lie to kick it. And hey, you know what? I've gotten scared and I've decided to lie before too. But I'll mm-hmm. tell you what, if you're the one trying to come to me to try to be honest and to have solutions, that's the relationship I want with you. And that's a conversation I've had with them. That's not a conversation a lot of kids get to have with parents or step parents. Even a lot of step parents feel like they need to have this super aggressive authoritarian role to be feared instead of being like confided in. So I think this is just showing like your difference in parenting, almost like the difference as an adult would respond in a boss who is very authoritative versus a boss who is very much somebody you can come to. That you've got a relationship of almost grooming and growing on instead of like fear and that you need to perform frank very much like you need to perform for him he you know he gets angry he very much gives that vibe it's not a secret at this point so it's no duh that bill didn't want to share this news with him because he's still kind of a little bit you know looking up to daddy we talked about that at the very front of this season where he was very much you know wanting to emulate the show that daddy wants to watch he wants to watch it this is what we're still kind of watching bill come out of is Mm. how much does he need to please his dad yeah and i think that is a tough thing for parents because i know i uh you know as a parent i i kind of walk that tightrope you know like you don't want 
you want to be nice to your kids. You want to be respectful for your, for your kids. But I think the one thing some parents today, especially I see want to do is they want to be their kid's best friend. And like, as a parent, I don't know if you can necessarily do that at their, at a young age, but that doesn't mean you go the hardcore, like Arlie, Ermy, you know, full metal jacket, staff sergeant type of role either. You know, it's like, um, you know, to your point, like, you know, we're human. And I, I think, I think parents, what, what they have to realize is, is, you know, they have to realize, you know, they've been in their kids shoes before, you know, you, you have to accept the fact that, you know, you know, it's okay to respond in a negative way, but most importantly, you know, you know, and then we've talked about it, not only on, on this show, but on friends talking nerdy as well. It's about being open enough with your kids to, to say that even if you did react in a negative way after the fact, coming to them and say, you know what? I was wrong. I'm right. Sorry. And that's kind of the stuff, like, it's kind of funny. Um, there's like the positive parenting stuff, which is actually like, there's information on it on the CDC's website. If you didn't know that there is like the current recommended parenting shit on the CDC's website. So mm. that's like the latest of things. And then I was reading an article the other day about how, you know, with the meme sharing and people being able to kind of create whatever they want, there's all these other terms like gentle parenting and some of these other things that don't seem to have any basis in like actual like science or study or psychology at all. So it's kind of interesting that I think positive parenting, like we seem to be doing the same thing that a bunch of people did with the Atkins diet. Do you remember like why the Atkins diet failed like football bat hard? Like it, it was a little bit of people just not really understanding. They oversimplified it. Right. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, no carbs ever. And that's not how you live, by the way. That's literally like you, you can't. It's very bad if you cut out all carbs from your diet, like all of them. So because it was like oversimplified, like some people were, you know, made and shared things that wasn't actually in tune to the diet. So it's like have personally nicknamed things like this, the Atkins effect, because that's the first one that I remember. And it's like, we have like an Atkins effect with parenting and Mm. it's like, no, 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 you're not really supposed to be like their best friend. Like you still got to be fucking stern and keep their shit in line too, because there is that relationship that is supposed to be guidance and grooming too. But um, I don't want to digress too far into that one. But yeah, it's it's interesting to see yet another depiction of where that fear-based relationship between parent and child like is kind of super unhealthy. And to me, this is like the beginning of that doughy-eyed, I look up to dad, Bill, mm-hmm. and kind of starting that separation. Yeah, and uh, that's why we're here on this journey. Yay! So, hey, uh, I like talking about this stuff. I gotta say. <laughs> All right, uh, the next topic here we'll dive into uh, is an interesting one, and it's with a Frank and Sue story, and that's how a partner can help calm you with their presence. Uh, in this, in uh, the scene, Frank was upset that uh, Sue was out on the town, angry, yelling. She gets home; he's instantly calm, and. On on the one hand, I can see, you know, an issue like like what happened as it's presented in the show is not necessarily a bad thing at all. You know, it, it's when you do that's the point of a good partnership when it's working correctly, the partner can help, um, you know, pick up the slack when when you need that help. Um, but I can also see that, um, you know, leading to, to some very dangerous things as well, you know, um, well, danger is not necessarily the correct word, but just some unhealthy uh, aspects to it. But what did you think about that? 
Oh, I mean, to me, I didn't even take it as that she had actually calmed him more that he needed to remind himself to calm down because he knows that he's not going to get away with acting a fool like that in front of the kids or he's venting about her. There's even some point where he like completely stops saying what he was saying because, you know, she's come home and he it's like he knows that there's part of him that needs to and even wants to be supportive of Sue on this journey. But at the same time, he's a big gold grumpus about the changes. But mm-hmm. that's also kind of naturally occurring. Just as a funny side thing, I do think it's funny that even Sue seems like kind of unhappy with the the decide to change and some of this stuff. So it's like kind of experiencing that whole you're going to have frustration and suffering, whether your job is out and about and earning income or you come, you know, you get more money in so you can afford more convenience things or your job is being at home so that, you know, you can afford only needing one income because you are taking care of the convenience things, which Mm -hmm. is more or less how I describe to people like, you know, that's all a stay at home partner is. Like this whole stay-at-home wife thing is like, no, 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 that's a fucking job. There's just a trade-off there. Like it's it's a big trade-off. It's still a lot of work though. So um, yeah, I didn't really necessarily take it that she had calmed him though. More but, just that he realized he needed to calm down. But think of it like this though. It, it, it calmed in a sense that, you know, I, I from what I saw from his response, I related to it in a lot of ways because I think his response was coming from a big place of anxiety. And the fact that she did come back when she did, that meant a lot of his anxiety, you know, was immediately gone because she was there. Um, now, you know, you did make an interesting point. I know they dive into this into the next episode a lot further, you know, because of their break in their regular routine, it affects everybody. And next episode, we'll see how it affects Sue more. Um, but uh, yeah, if anything, I thought that scene was just fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The next one here, this is a short little scene, but I did uh, kind of love it. The topic is how naive young creatives can be with their own talent. Um, Kevin was creating a song on the guitar. And I know you've mentioned uh, that this is not the first time we will see Kevin uh, exploring his musical side, but he, um, I guess, was recording it, recorded it all in one take. And he was like, this is perfect. And um, I mean, I remember when uh, as a kid, I you know was writing for the first first time i mean like when you finish a story when i finished a story it it, i i kind of had that same mindset of you know this is gold when it was actually garbage did you ever have anything like that happen to you oh i mean no i didn't get too (laughs) into creative stuff until i was like a lot older Hmm. and so all the things that i got into like you could there was like a quantitative way to tell i was doing well does that make sense like in band, you had chair tests. So I knew I did well at band because I was first chair in my my stuff and I like, you know, did trophies and shit like that. Or like, you know, I did Taekwondo and you knew you did well in that by, you know, how well you were point sparring, you know, going up in belt rank and stuff like that. So it is kind of funny that you don't have validation for some of these creative things. And so you are your source of validation. You are the one that's going to tell you whether you're good or bad, especially back in a home you know, in Kevin's situation where they're not necessarily supportive of the rock star lifestyle Mm -hmm. that becomes more apparent as, you know, Frank seems to put together. Yeah. Like it's kind of an overall theme and frustration between Frank and Kevin is Kevin very much. He wants to be a rock star one day and, you know, 
Frank being very much like, you need to do better in school because you're going to have bills to pay type thing, which isn't a bad thing to want for your kid. But it is kind of pitched like bad in a, in a lot of um, not just this show, but, you know, in a lot of shows they pitch it as bad. But it is a very genuine want, right? You, you should want your kids to do better than you did. And you want to be same. Yeah, you want to be realistic too. I mean, we've talked about it uh the on-friends talking already before too. I mean, it's like at what point do you want to be realistic about their chances to accomplish something as well while also gi- giving them the encouragement to do to do what they you know are doing? Like imagine if Jimi Hendrix's parents had said, put that guitar down, learn how to get a regular job, you fool. We wouldn't right. have had his music, you know, but imagine, though, it would not be a bad thing for, you know, Jimi Hendrix's parents to say, hey, if you go down this route, it, it it's, you know, it's it's a it's a risk. You're not going to make much money and you got to you, you know, you got to have a backup of some sort. There's nothing wrong with that. But um uh, yeah, it, it, it's tough all around. But on the on the other side of, of things with Kevin, I, I did. um Again, I, I really liked how naive, naively confident he was in his skills. I mean, if anything, that 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 you know, like Justin Long is the guy, who, uh, the actor who plays him. I think he's close to our age, uh, maybe late thirties or something like that. But um, but it, it, it the performance just it felt real. I, I could imagine like a sixteen year old, seventeen year old reacting that way because heck, I did. He's great, though. I think Justin Long does a really great job with Kevin, like throughout the whole series. Indeed, indeed. All right, the next topic here: How one person in a relationship will go out of their way to overcompensate praise for something to deflect on their displeasure for something else. And that was a long, unwieldy sentence there. I apologize for that, but this is referring to um, Frank talking about dinner. Um, He didn't like the TV dinner that Sue made, but in front of the kids, he was overcompensating by saying, this is really good. Respect the work your mother did, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, uh, on the one hand, I, I I I can appreciate why he reacted the way he did. He wanted to show some so he wanted to show support to Sue. He wanted the kids to show respect to Sue. But I, you know, it's like by doing that, he did more wrong than he was trying to accomplish. You know? Yeah, because it goes to the you know, kids aren't dumb. They normally see those little things that you think that they don't see. I'm sure they know that Frank does not like the TV dinners. Uh And, uh, but at the same time, it does make sense that he wants to help reframe in a positive way because this is dinners, right? This is the new thing. Sue is working more. So we got to get on board with what the new family normal is. But at the same time, you could just kind of tell that it's not super sinking because a lot of that needs to come from a genuine place. And Frank, and especially back in the 70s, I don't think people really understood that that mattered as much, right? Yeah. There's like a certain lie detectorness to your friends, your family, those closest to you, your children. And uh, it's hard to get kids on board with something when they know you're being disingenuous about it. And so with Frank being very disingenuous about the dinner, it just wasn't very surprising that that wasn't going to actually be helpful. Yeah. And especially with something like dinner, like I remember um, 
like in my twenties, there was a friend of mine who got married and I went over to his house and, um, I was shocked when, you know, I went over to his house for dinner. I was shocked when, uh, his wife made dinner, but then he ate a little bit of it and said he didn't like it. And, um, I was shocked at first, but you know, he didn't, wasn't disrespectful. It's not like he threw the plate across the room. It was like, make me something good. It didn't do that. <laughs> but, um, it shocked me, but that was actually good what he did. You know, it's like he was able to tell his wife, you know, hey, this wasn't for me. And, you know, he was able to go off and make, make himself something something else. And, I, you know, I, I think, honestly, that was an attitude that I wish I had emulated more in my life. Because I think there are a lot of times to where, um, you know, like somebody has made food for me, for instance, that I didn't like as much. But I, you know, ate the whole thing. It did great. You did great. You know, and you know, maybe, maybe I was able to hide it, but maybe not, you know, I mean, cause I, as you know, I'm not the best at hiding my emotions. You know? Well, it's funny cause it goes back into the overcorrection because that was very much how I was raised too. It was a take mm. it or leave it system. You take it or you leave it. And if somebody cooks something for you and you don't like it, you better get through a serving of it and be polite. You can eat more when you get home. Mm-hmm. And then, so then there's this overcorrection that I feel we've had with, with kids where it's like, well, now we're turning into short order cooks where it's like, well, they don't like this. So I'm just going to give them their chicken nuggets and their mac and cheese because they like that. And I don't think that's great either. Um, what I know we do is, you know, especially what's funny is my adopted parents think it's crazy how I get this, my, my stepkids to eat my vegan food. And I was like, well, you know, we require conversations about things and it's really helped us learn what each other likes. Like, you know, my stepson, especially with him being so much younger, it was very common of our favorite thing. And I still quote this is I'm full of this. And I picked up very quick that that meant "Mm, we're not full. We just don't want this anymore. So then it starts like, well, talk to us. Is it too salty? Does it need more salt? Does it have spiciness to it? And so we've actually figured out now that we can talk through foods and, and things like that. So it's something that I hope more people kind of take a turn to again, is just learning to have conversations instead of this, you better eat this because I made it or, oh my God, you don't like it. So let me make you like some sliced cheese and turkey and baby carrots. Cause that's what you'll eat. And then you'll get my ex-husband who that's still all he ate all through adulthood. But <laughs> <laughs> Which is why he's an ex. <laughs> hey, one of the reasons, man, I cannot live off of sliced turkey and baby carrots. I needed, I had needs. But uh, yeah, so it, it was, it's kind of funny that that disingenuous thing there. And I just, I, I just think it's funny because yes, I, I agree that, that is normal. I agree that that was normal even to a point now. Um, where there's still a little bit of that that people pleasing kind of mentality that's accidentally being taught, right? Because isn't that what that is? Like when you just shut up and eat the food that's been united in front of you, it's people pleasing. Yeah, and 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 it is a case by case basis. Of course, sometimes it's perfectly okay to do that. Like if you're at a big family gathering and it's your aunt who made it, and you only see her once a year, you eat that with a smile, you know. But, but, you know, when it comes to eating at home, I mean, I, I, you know, I think what I found when, when my kids were younger, that worked best was, you know, uh, not doing what my mother did. And that's make a big heaping plate, shove it in front of you full of stuff. You don't know what it is. You know, if you're going to make something new, let them have a bite. If they don't like it, you have something else ready, you know, and also insist that they try a bite of it. 
Oh my oh gosh, my I can't tell you how many times I'm like, hey, the bite will not kill you. Just put that whole sucker in there, chew it up, swallow it, and give me an honest assessment. And then it's really funny as a parent when you can watch the face turn. Like, <laughs> they were not going to like that. And then they chewed it, and then it's like, oh, wait, no, this is good, and I want more of it. And then that starts taking over. The, I mean, not sometimes my daughter. You get, not sometimes my daughter. You, Sometimes you do get stubborn kids who can totally, but I, I've had that experience with my stepson a few times where it's like, I'm not going to like this, but hey, it's good. Now I want more. No, my uh, we used to call her Squirrel when she was uh, <laughs> she was a toddler because she would, um, if she didn't like something, she would just eat it, but she wouldn't swallow it. She wouldn't spit it out either. It would just be in balls on the side of her mouth. You know, and just to the point where, you know, we would, we would get so frustrated, be like, okay, you can spit it out, but she would just, just sit there with the balls in her mouth and like, come on, Ash. (laughs) 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 That's, that's where I ultimately learned it because, you know, yeah, you don't want to give your kids candy and ice cream all the time because you don't want to have the arguing over them eating something healthy, but you can make it. You can make the healthy stuff fun by giving them a say, giving them some power, you know, like let them find a vegetable they do like, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's not hard. Yep. Letting them just talk about what they like got a long way. Cause there's like a, there's a total pressure, like, especially, you know, because we do kind of still have that little bit of the gender stereotypes with our steps, a step mom and their cooking is kind of like intense. Like when you start cooking for kids, because it's like, all you know is kids are really picky eaters. They tend to like what they like. And I was like, (laughs) I am screwed. And uh, it turned out to not really be that way at all. And now I've got, you know, they've got their favorite things that they know they can ask for that we've worked out together that we know everybody can eat. So, but yeah, super not frozen dinners i kind of actually understand this one you know what i mean they weren't good back then guys yeah well they're not good now but uh, you said that and it reminded me of (laughs) my mother asking about how my ex-wife cooked and my response was absolutely perfect i looked at my mother with a smile go mom she doesn't cook like you (laughs) and was able to just leave it at that just leave it yep All right. The next topic here. This was a fun one uh, involved Maureen and Bill, and that's black mailing a sibling to get them to do stuff you want to do. Um, My sister and I were close enough in age, and my sister was also the point was also the type of person that I, I felt I feel that if I tried to blackmail her, she would have just went to my mother to tell on herself to also say that Tim tried to blackmail me to get me in trouble. <laughs> you know, did you ever have a blackmail situation with your brother? Did he try to blackmail you? I think it was like almost an underlying love language for us. Like, I just feel like there was just this constant like system between the two of us because we knew more about what we were up to than our parents ever did. So what's funny is I think it almost just eventually built like this just, you don't talk about it mentality like it stays here where Mm -hmm. it's like we just knew we had so much shit on each other that if one of us ever decided to out like somebody else like none of that other stuff ever expires right like you might agree that you're not going to hold it over them anymore but you know you can still pull those cards depending on what they are like Mm -hmm. if you broke mom such and such back in 19 like 89 like she'd still like care 
if I told her like it like today, like I could probably still start some shit if I really wanted to. But you know, whenever you've got that that weapon and that leverage as a kid, like uh, I, I think if you've got that as your relationship, it almost kind of naturally builds to that, if that makes sense. Like where you just know you're not going to tell on each other because you've already had this longstanding agreement where you don't. Now I can say, I don't remember any time where we actually ever did rat each other out. Yeah. I, I can't put specific like, oh, there was this situation and he lorded that over me for months or vice versa. I can't think of one specific. I just know like that we had those things. And I do know that we never outed each other, though. Yeah. I mean, like I said, with my sister and I, I, I can't think of any specific blackmailing uh, <laughs> that that went on. Because um, I think, uh, yeah, to your point, like uh, we both knew enough bad about what either one of us did that if, um, you know, if I did try to get her in trouble, then, you know, Colleen would have receipts on me. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> but um you know, for as sitcommy as as how more some of Maureen's actions were, it did. There was still a genuineness uh, in her actions. I mean, I absolutely loved when she told Bill, "Give me a dollar." He gives her a dollar, and then she rips it up in front of him. I just thought that was so yes, funny. so sadistic and to the point. Like just because she could, not yeah. for any actual reason, just because she knew it would hurt Bill to rip up the dollar in front of his face. Yeah, and so, and then the same thing with his sandwich. <laughs> um, just any, anything she could destroy just because it's probably the most power she's had in that child in that household being the youngest uh -huh. indeed indeed all right next topic here and that's how your kids can annoy you as you as a parent but you have to fight against that and that's a uh, frank and kevin's story um in the scene uh sue and frank are having a discussion about frank having to be nicer about uh, Kevin in school, um, which <laughs> leads to this great uh, uh, interaction here between Sue and Kevin. Sue says, you got to see in history. And Kevin's like, yes, I knew I could excel. <laughs> no. um, but I, 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 I related a lot to Frank, too, because sometimes, you know, as a parent, your kids will do stuff that you think is just they, they should just know better. They should just know better. And like, and, and like the logical side of your parent brain is like, you know, come on, you got to put on your, your parent face and do the job. But there's another part of you that's just like, come on, do better, do better, you know? Oh, yeah. And it's not even just parents. I think we're kind of hard on each other as just humans in general, too, because, you know, it goes into that we really suck at being able to tell other people's intentions behind their actions. And all we can really say is how we feel like we would deal with it because we set things to our experience. So I do, I can very much relate to Frank having the experience that passing high school shouldn't be hard. Uh -huh. But as we learn and, you know, in this episode is that Kevin, maybe there's legitimate reasons for his struggles. Uh, you know, it mentions that he goes into a pool for a few minutes as a toddler. I know we'll get into that later, but, you know, we know now what kind of damage that can cause, like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, long-term and cognitively thinking, but as back then they really didn't. So <laughs> really nowadays, if, if a parent were to kind of be that way with a child that they knew, like had suffered like some kind of like a trauma that could like, mess with them cognitively. 
wouldn't be seen as like nicely as, as, or even as understandably as Frank. Right. But given that the, the time frame that Frank exists in and not necessarily having reason to believe that it's fact that that would be causing issues. Right. Cause I think even he, at some point, if it wasn't this episode, you know, cause this instance does get brought up because at this point, uh, Kevin doesn't remember that this has happened. So there is a point where Kevin's going to remember that this happened. <laughs> uh, but, you know, and I, I can't remember which episode he had said, but he says like, oh, he was in the pool for two minutes, doesn't give him permission to be an asshole for the rest of his life. But it's like, but when you understand that like some things can be like long term, like kind of effects of situations like that it's it's not giving permission to be an asshole but he's not being an asshole we don't know that kevin is being an asshole but frank is assuming kevin is being an asshole because frank is not able to see if kevin is trying his best he's assuming kevin isn't based off of frank's own experience of school wasn't hard to pass yeah, for, for his age. And that kind of ties in with the next theme here, too. So I think we'll dive into that and how hard it, and that's how hard it can be for a parent to objectively rate their own skills and how easy it is to get defensive. You know, like I, I brought up on, you know, not only Friends Talking Nerdy, but on this show, you know, my skills as a parent where I've said, I don't feel I've been a great parent in the past. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying I'm the worst parent in human history. I'm not saying I've done, I've not done some good stuff. I would fight anybody that says different, but I, I think the important thing that, you know, I feel I need to give to my kids that my parents did not give me is that honest assessment because you know that honest assessment now can definitely change in five years you know it can change in 10 years and um i i really liked how tough it showed frank kind of fighting against you know really recognizing his his faults here you know yeah yeah I don't have really too much more to expand on it because I feel like we kind of covered it. Uh, anything that I would have to say on it with, you know, he's, he's rating skills, uh -huh. but he's rating it to his own experience, which is not the same as his son, ex son's experience. And I do think that that is something that a lot of parents err in is that they do assume that your child has a similar experience to you. And it's like, that's not really the case anymore. Um, not for a handful of decades now. Uh, yeah. now your own child can have a very different experience than you just because of where we're at. I mean, look at bullies alone. I mean, with social media, uh, and bullies, it's made, it's made it a lot worse than what it was like when, you know, when we were kids, you know? Mm -hmm. Oh, exactly. Because as much as I love the technology, because, you know, my stepkids can get in touch with me or my partner you know, across the country, it doesn't feel like they're as far away in that sense. Mm -hmm. You also don't get an escape from bullies. They, they also can always feel there too. So there's the flip side, the curse end of the blessing that can be the internet's Indeed, indeed. All right. The next story here on uh, this regards to Bill, and that's how skipping school as a kid can be a little scary. Um, I, now I, I never skipped school that much. Primarily, my school skipping days were primarily in high school, um, and it ended up was 
a little scary in the sense that, you know, being out and about in the world on a day to where normally you would be in school, if you have no money, it's like, you know, you don't want to get caught. I mean, the, luckily for me, you know, being like, you know, 13, 14, 15 and six feet tall, I didn't have to worry about, you know, p- too many people giving me the side eye because a lot of people just thought I was a, like a freshman in college, but you know, it's still scary to be out there in the world and especially in Bill's situation to where he has to figure out how to um take eight hours of his day and keep himself entertained while you know not having like the police stop him or something like that Um, right we go back into this isn't a terribly large town like there's not a lot of places for him to just hide and be and people are going to notice if you're a child without like an adult escorting you Mm -hmm. you know in the middle of town during the middle of a school day like people are going to notice that. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things, like I said, I can't relate to it. I've never (laughs) skipped school, been expelled, what have you, it just hasn't happened. Um, But yeah, I could totally understand that being scary though, just in the sense of being out in the world without your parental unit can be kind of scary. And it's not like he's had a lot of experience, like being out without parents and that parent not knowing where they're at, which is just kind of a sense of safety. Yeah, because uh, isn't Billy still in grade school, right? I think he might be in middle school in this middle, one. Yeah, because like even even with middle school, it's not it, like a high school senior, even in the seventies, would be able to go to like a cheap diner and you know not have people you know really care. But you know, like an eleven year old, you know, eleven year old, yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I I guess it did make sense that later in the episode they showed that you know Bill waited in his neighborhood and saw his parents leave the home and he hung out there. So that you know made the whole experience kind of um, you know realistic in that sense. But you know it, it can definitely be scary. Next topic here. Uh, this is relating to Frank and Sue, and you know we've talked about this uh, plenty of times on a show and under plenty of different uh, scenarios, and that's just how the inability to communicate needs in a relationship can lead to arguments. And it's uh, again more of the frustration that Frank was feeling about um, about Sue's work, and 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 this is just common sense. Yes, if you don't tell the your partner that you're living with something that is bothering you, it is going to continue to bother you and it will make things worse in the end because you're not addressing the problem. Yeah. It's normally when uh, relationships turn toxic. (laughs) Yeah. To where you kind of need a break or something. Yeah. (laughs) Or to just break up. Yeah. Or yeah. Go the way of the dodo. I don't know, but let's go on to the next one here. And that is how trust can be broken when a parent doesn't do their job right. And this is the revelation uh, that you mentioned that as a toddler, Frank had uh, left Kevin in a swimming pool for two minutes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, like, like Kevin in this episode, I don't think he is made aware of that just yet, if I'm not mistaken, but no, nope, that doesn't happen until I think this next season, I, I know when it happens. There's a scene that has not happened yet. So I'm like, yes, he does not know about this yet, Um, but it will come up. But it is interesting. Uh, I thought it was a very natural way to introduce the idea that Kevin's not an asshole. Mm -hmm. 
like the possibility that Kevin's not just being a shit or just, you know, those things that parents say they're, they're just being a brat. They're just being shitty. They're just being an asshole. Like he's not just being, it sounds like maybe something happened and we haven't even owned this to Kevin yet. So it has everything to do with Kevin, but they haven't told him yet because that would be telling him bad news. Yeah. And that's, especially with something like uh, being underwater to the point to where it's affected of his cognitive abilities, you would think that would be something that they would want to tell him at some point. And um, um, are we going to find out if Frank had any sort of legal repercussions? I mean, was this purely an accident? Do we know more about this incident? You don't find out too much more. There are eventually like you see some little like they flash back to it at some points, but it doesn't make like a major story arc, but it just kind of comes up here in the beginning and kind of really sets some character tone for Kevin. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, like parents are human as well and you know they're going to make mistakes and even sometimes bad ones, you know. I think um I, my oldest, when he was two, he was, it was about eight o'clock at night. He was in his high chair, uh, eating dinner, watching TV. And I was on the couch sleeping. Um, his mother was out of the house and, um, I ended up going to sleep, wake up at about two in the morning and he's still in the high chair, just watching TV. He wasn't throwing the fit or nothing like that, you know, but that was like, I was like, shit, I can't believe I did that. And I immediately got up, ran him, got him into bed and all that stuff. But it happens to parents. Unfortunately, you know, it's like, um, it happens, <laughs> you know, it, it, there's no excuse for it, but you know, parents aren't perfect. And they learn along the way too. Like, um, I, I, what was it? I think, uh, my ex-wife, when my daughter was like a baby at one point, like my daughter, like, um, like my wife turned, uh, she was like lying on the couch. My daughter was on top of her and then she turned. And I guess my daughter fell off the couch. <laughs> there were some cushions on the ground. She landed on that, but she was like a baby when it happened, you know? <laughs> so. Okay. Babies have some bounce. Like. A little bit, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but oh. but yeah, I mean, it's like part of me was a little weirded out about how they talked about it, though, because it made it seem like it was a much more bigger deal. I mean, like you would have you would expect like um, they would talk about like police being brought in or something like that. But it was also the seventies too, you know, a different time, <laughs> different times, yeah. All right, the next topic here, and we've touched upon this a little bit already, but it's how confusing it can be for kids to hear the parents argue. And this is in relation to Bill. Um, when he does sneak back into the house, um, he has to hide underneath his parents' bed when his parents come back home early, and he hears them argue. And at one point, Frank ends up calling Bill a pussy. Now, when Frank said this, I don't think he really, truly 100% meant that. That's just how he articulated it. And a kid is not necessarily going to understand that. So a kid hearing a parent, you know, saying stuff like that, I can imagine it'd be very confused. It could be confusing. And most importantly, it would hurt the feelings. You know, I can, you know, like Bill having his feelings hurt. I, I, I would be in totally in the same boat in his, his spot here. Well, and it goes back to we're watching this transition for Bill, right? Mm-hmm. So he's starting to to question this looking up to dad thing, and then dad calls him a pussy. And I think it's interesting because it's not it's to me, it's a little bit more than the awkwardness of hearing your parents fight 
the awkwardness of hearing your parents talk about you and not mm-hmm. necessarily in a way that they would want you to hear. That is something I 1000% relate to. <laughs> there was uh, there's a few times I've heard some conversations through a door where they really thought I was like asleep or I, I don't fully remember. I just remember what I heard. And mm. I was like, oh, okay, got it. You are not a fan <laughs> hearing you. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, that was a total mother's <laughs> issue. <laughs> like, because uh, like, it was kind of funny because my door was like literally like right across the hall. So I could hear when she was having conversations with my first stepfather and I was like, just be able to go out in the hall and just listen. Like it didn't take much. And so like, yeah, I knew all of the bad gas for a little while there for a little bit. Um, But yeah, some of it was about me and uh, that can be like really kind of gutting, even if you're not a fan of that person, it's gutting. So especially with where Bill is at at this point in his life where he's still like looking up to dad, he hasn't quite like come off of that yet. Um, mm-hmm. Probably pretty terrible thing to hear your parent call you like a name like that. Yeah. Cause like, how can the parent talk their way out of that? They're not going to be able to. And it's not like Bill is in a spot to where he can tell his parents, um, Hey, I, I, you know, came home early cause I got a suspended and, and I heard you say that, you know? Um, and I, I can also in a way relate to Frank too. I mean, you know, because like, again, I don't get the impression that he really truly feels that way about his kid. I think he's just, no. he's, he's venting. He's venting, he's running his mouth, he's being emotional, um, but also he's doing what he was guilty of earlier. He's not, with Kevin, he's not empathizing. He's not taking the time to find out why Bill is making the choices that he's doing. He's only comparing Bill's life to his own, something that happened 20, 30, 40 years before uh, the events that we're seeing. And you can't judge that. You know, I can't judge my, my kid's experience based on how I did because they have so many more things that they're dealing with that I didn't, you know, it would not be fair. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. All right. Which leads us to the next topic here. Um, <laughs> accidentally catching your parents doing the nasty. Yes. Bill's hiding <laughs> under the bed. And uh, before you know it, after their argument, Bill and Sue decide to get amorous and it leads to uh, some of the funniest line deliveries. I think I heard um, like Bill, uh, like Frank, you know, um, do, <laughs> saying, Oh, Sue, Oh, Sue, Oh, Sue. And the way he was doing it was over dramatic but it was hyperbolic, but it was just at that tipping point to where it still sounded realistic, you know, and, and that takes some skill as an actor to pull off. I think that whole scene was hilarious. I I've never walked in on my parents doing the actual dirty. So I can't relate to it in that sense. I, I did find like a, a, a we'll call it a toy um costume i i don't know whether to call it a toy or costume so we'll leave that to the the wondering person's mind to speculate i did find something once but i never did like and what was great was i had no clue it was until like a decade later and then it just like hit me one day like oh mom, oh god oh god what did i find <laughs> like, mom, mom had a gimp you know? <laughs> <laughs> well it was like the, the, the puppet type thing that is like your cock went into i don't know like how it would work but it's basically it looked like now that i remember like go, like going back to not knowing what it was i was like that's a weird puppet 
Um, and that's like all I remembered for most of my childhood. And then later I put together that it was like, you know, jock strap thing to make it look like something else. So I was like, why? Why? Uh, okay. <laughs> but, but at least at least I never walked in on that. I loved like even the animation and the awkwardness having Bill like look up and just see his dad's balls. So I was like, yeah, that would be the bad luck, right? That would be the yeah. most. This, the, the the most like not visually appealing thing to accidentally see is just ball slap it. So I, I think they did that scene really well without it feeling forced and without it feeling like crazy over the top. It felt very honest. And it's like, I almost wouldn't be surprised if this did not play out for somebody. And that's where it was inspired from. I wasn't able to find anything to confirm that they didn't go anecdotally into all of situations sometimes with F is for family. But I, I thought that scene was so well done as far as if a child was to be under a bed hiding like their experience of if their parents happen, because I could see that happening because hiding under a bed is a very natural place to hide. So yeah, it just it totally made sense to me. And I thought they did the whole scene really well. <laughs> yeah. L- uh, luckily I never, and never had to d- deal with an experience like Bill did. I mean, the worst I heard, like I was in, in high school, like walking towards my mother's room and I heard noises. And then at that point it just turned around fingers in the ears, la, 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 you know, <laughs> and just, just like, yeah, you know, loud like, noises, loud noises. But this makes me wonder as a parent, like, you know, like I, I remembered that. So as a parent, I tried my best to be as cautious as I could, but like, I hope my kids never caught, I don't want to know, but I hope I was cautious enough that, you know, my kids don't have stories about dear old dad. (laughs) Oh yes. Lots of making sure the doors are locked. Like there's been so many times of, uh, yeah, there was, There was a situation where like I had to be covered with a blanket very quickly, but we managed to like nip it. It was all okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> On that note, we'll go to the last topic here. And um, any parent, especially of a young kid has dealt with this. And that's how kids will not prepare you when they vomit. Um, at the end of the episode, um, Frank is talking about getting a workout before dinner. Bill realizes what that workout was and threw up. But um, it, it reminded me of my kids when they would throw up because it, it it happened just like Bill. You know, they would just be sitting there, just sitting there. Life's normal. Life's normal. And all of a sudden, all over the place. Like I remember going to out uh, the last family outing I did with my ex-wife um and the kids was to see avengers age of ultron in theaters and we saw and then afterwards went to an applebee's you know know, real classy place of course and um we were eating the eating uh dinner in there and then all of a sudden my son luke just out of nowhere just not even just politely into his lap or something like that it was just all over the table (laughs) and at that point like me with my anxiety i was like got up and walked out to the bathroom and my wife took care of the puke and just kids don't prepare you like me as an adult like if like if the rare times i drink too much and i feel like throwing up or i'm sick and i'm throwing up i feel as an adult i've had enough time to be able to get up and make that bolt to the bathroom whereas a kid again just sitting there just sitting there and like like a time bomb boom all over the place as a step parent have you dealt with that 
Oh, yes. We had actually a very glorious happening. But just to throw (laughs) it out there, it's just because we know what those feelings are. Like, hey, you know what? I remember putting together, if I'm salivating a lot, I'm not fighting it anymore. It's happening. Uh And that's actually like a physical response. But I kind of wish somebody had explained those things to me. Like they did way more to explain like to how to understand when I needed to use the bathroom than like getting sick. So I always thought that was funny. It's like, well, of course, kids don't know the signs. We never talk about it, you know, but what was really funny with my stepson that played out, but he wasn't sick at all. What happened was, is he was going through one of the phases of pretending like we weren't going to try something. And uh, he was like doing the fake gag, fake gag. Well, he accidentally fake gagged himself and learned he can do a handy trick. (laughs) And it came up on his plate. And I still remember the look on his face was just like his eyes were so wide, like, whoa, what just (laughs) happened? (laughs) And it was such a bummer because there was supposed to be the school function that they had tickets to that we were going to take them to. But, you know, this child just got sick. So it's like, well, you're not going anymore because we weren't 100% sure. Like I was 90% sure what had happened was he accidentally gagged himself. Right. But he wasn't saying that he didn't feel sick and he wasn't saying that he did feel sick. So it's like, okay, well, but if you're sick, you know, we're to an adult and a child will go and an adult and you will stay so that you can get better. And I guess it came out. I, I wound up leaving with my stepdaughter to go do the event and daddy was home with him. And that's where he wound up getting out. Like, well, it wasn't really sick. So at least they were actually able to talk about it. But yeah, I don't think I will ever forget just the look of sheer shock on his face because he didn't know he could do that, but you could gag yourself into getting sick, <laughs> but yeah. he learned. Um, yeah, we were totally unprepared. We got lucky. It was just nice and neat and on his plate. And we were able to just take it and put it in the sink and non-issue. I can't, oh man, just out in public though. Like I feel like I would, I would deal with it, but I would hate that that happened like on the anxiety level. <laughs> Now, it, to me, it was like if there was a way to like just like leave the restaurant and like meet up with my family at home after the fact, I would have done it. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. But um, but it, yeah, just having it happen at a restaurant just was just like everybody's looking and like. Ugh. Yeah, I would be the one just like repeatedly just going, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> like just trying, desperately trying to fix it. Meanwhile, it's like, well, we've got like dust and stuff. Like they probably clean it is what I'm saying, I guess. Uh, yeah. I mean, use the stuff they do for oil, but let's dive into the verdict here. I'm sure you have some good and bad. What is your verdict and how did you get there? Well, good and bad. Well, I mean, I'll go ahead and spoiler alert. Definitely watch this one. So far, this whole first season is worth watching every episode. They're doing a great job of setting up stories, setting up callbacks that you're going to get to enjoy through the entirety of the series, not just like confined in a season. Um, So this is one of those episodes like where you're going to have some stuff pulled from it later that they're going to reference. Uh, Like we had brought up the first commercial type jabs where they're making fun of the airline. Other notes, though, I really loved humanizing Jimmy in the beginning. You know, he's building this little birdhouse like he's a kid, too. And you even kind of learn that he has kind of an obviously unhealthy, fucked up relationship with his father, who is the janitor, who is saying, kick his ass, Jimmy. 
shut up, dad. Like that's how you learn that the janitor is Jimmy's dad, which is great. Janitor is also coach for the hockey team that Bill later becomes involved in. And then I do think it's funny that this, uh, this is kind of setting him up as a bully, bully, bully. And then a slight spoiler alert, not too hardcore though, because I do think this kind of feeds into the story. They kind of develop an interesting friendship, these two. Mm-hmm. So I think it's great that they show this one. And then in the next episode, we'll actually get into some of that. The first time his bully seems to be becoming a comrade with him, but we will get into that with the next one. Um, Frank's frustrations at the changing of home culture with Sue starting to work, really hating the frozen convenience foods, etc., And those trades that you make for your spouse's happiness. I think it shows that there is some depth to Frank. He's not just an asshole. Just an asshole would be like, you're not getting a job. You're staying home. These meals are terrible and you're cooking now. That's an asshole. Frank's not. He's actually oddly. I think this episode did a good job showing that he is a good and supportive husband. He might have some anger issues. And again, we will throw out there. The war has already been mentioned a number of times. So I feel like we are kind of hinting that he deals with PTSD symptoms. And when you take that into consideration, like this is one of those signs of not an asshole. You know, mm-hmm. he, he wants to be supportive of Sue as much as he tries to keep that disdain to himself. And it kind of comes out a little bit to us, right? Because we get to be behind the scenes. He is ultimately trying to be supportive. Um, I also thought hand in hand with that, I mentioned it earlier, Sue also experiencing frustration. To me, I felt this was the beginning of realizing that no matter what job you do, there will be pros and cons. And with that, unavoidable frustrations. So where her frustrations before were more around cleaning up after the kids and feeling like she was doing that all of her own. Well, now she's doing completely other tasks all on her own. That's dealing with a boss that doesn't really seem responsible or responsive or caring about you, dealing with customers. We get more into like the the hoarder character with the butter tubs that comes up a few times, like in her career with Plastaware, this character comes up. So I thought it was funny. Um, but yeah, and then uh, let's see the beginning of what you'll oh, uh, this episode, I think also should the beginning of what you'll come to accept is Vic having a serious drug problem. Um, what I feel is Frank's real reason for disliking him, because I think that was something that you had kind of expressed in the beginning is that it seemed for no reason. And I'm like, well, but you do have this obvious party guy. And now that he's just so blatant, like not even trying to hide it, like did Coke in front of Frank, like on the steering wheel of his car in this episode, I think, because it was right before. Yeah. But uh, basically he did drugs in this episode, which is where I noted this, that he just kind of took a little spoon or something and did it really quick, like right in front of Frank. So you're seeing that that disdain for Vic is not for nothing. Uh, Quotes and moments that made this a yay. I loved Kevin. Uh, get used to it. There's more brilliance where that came from. And then he walked into the wrong door. You hear a bang. He comes back out and he goes, that was the garage. There was a <laughs> lot of good Kevin moments. Um, I also really love this awesome monologue that he has with Bill when uh, Bill's talking about, you know, I got to get my dad to sign this. And Kevin says, wait, you're going to narc on yourself. Have I taught you nothing? They never check those things. Just forge dad's name and take the day off. The system is a joke. They suspend me because I'm a piece of shit. Then they give me a paper saying I'm a piece of shit and I'm supposed to get my parents to sign it. Why the fuck would I do that? I'm a piece of shit. And that is like the best, like, yes, exactly. Like It's like, oh, 
hello, little baby Tracy. You're going to take home this paper and tell your mother who likes to yell and spank you that you did bad in school. <laughs> like, of course, I'm going to put together that, like, maybe I can sign the name and avoid that. So I did think it was super funny. Like, I related so hard to that monologue, like not to the level of that I agreed that I was a piece of shit, but yeah. just that the total I see like that mentality of that's exactly how I kind of came to justifying forgery because, you know, I didn't know it was a federal offense. Like everybody threw that around once they caught me, but I didn't know that what I was doing was super wrong. Nobody covered forgery was bad. Like at that point. And then uh, one favorite moment that I have to throw out there just because it was good brief comedy. Um, the union leader, uh, the mob level Guy the, guy, the guy that like kind of acts like he was in the mob. I yeah. really love the scene when the bears were singing and he like goes and just gets a pizza box and gets a gun and tries to use <laughs> the pizza box as a silencer and like just double taps the robot bear. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, why? But it was so funny that it didn't take me out of it. Like I, I appreciated the hyperbolic humor of like what had to be somebody playing out a fantasy because I understand like Chuck E. Cheese being annoyed by those things and stuff like that. But yeah, it was, it was super funny. It was, it was a bit and it worked and it makes me laugh every time I see the scene. And I think to your point, unlike um, Big Mouth, it, it was presented in a way to where maybe it's a heightened reality, like an action movie, but it wouldn't be odd if somebody did that in real life. Whereas some of the gags in Big Mouth are gags for the sake of gags, you know? Right. Yep. All right. Time for my verdict. I'm going to have to give this a yay as well. Um, some of my reasoning for that, um, you know, I, I mentioned earlier uh, the scenes between Maureen and Bill. I, I really, really loved those. Um, they, Maureen not only reminded me of my sister, she reminded me a little bit of my daughter too, uh, with ripping up the money and, and the food. But most importantly, I think it it was an honest way to show how petty siblings can be for each other while also showing that when push comes to shove, they're going to be there for each other to help each other out too. You know, I, I thought they did a wonderful job there. Um, as far as the negative, the Chuck E. Cheese type of restaurant, um, and this is probably the nitpicker in me, um, but Chuck E. Che now, Effort's for Family takes place in the Midwest in 1973. Um, Chuck E. Cheese did not get started until the late 70s in California. And it did not reach the Midwest until the mid eighties when I was a kid, you know? So it's like, they're, they're using a callback for nostalgia purposes for this restaurant, but they're doing it in a time period where it just does not make sense. Now, the average viewer is probably not going to put two and two together, so it's probably not going to be that big of a deal. And Chuck E. Cheese has been around long enough to where you know, people may think it was in that time, but for me, it did kind of take me out of it. Um, as far as the uh, Vic situation, I get the impression that Vic is aware of Frank's discomfort around him, yet he goes out of his way to still be friendly. I don't think he's naive, even though the character does come across as being naive. Um, I think he sees something in Frank he doesn't see uh, in himself. And more than anything, it just shows how great Sam Rockwell is as an actor. I mean, like Sam Rockwell, every single role I 
I have seen him in. Um, even some of the smaller roles, like a Galaxy Quest, you know, minor roles, he's still knocking it out of the park, and you know it's him. So really good there. Um, Sue insisting Frank get the concert tickets, even though he couldn't, and Bill being caught under the bed as his parents had sex. They were both funny scenes, but they were a little on the sitcom side, especially Sue with the concert tickets, because, uh, you know, I don't know. It's like if, if Frank was rather insistent on saying, you know, hey, because of the situation that's going on now, I can't guarantee this. So for her to say, just do it and then being mad at him for not being able to go through with it is is utterly ridiculous. Um, but again, overall. A very, very solid yay. Um, unlike other episodes of this season so far, even though it does have some unresolved threads, this did have a nice emotional close that I think some of the other episodes did not have. So really solid, and it will lead us to the final episode of season one next week. Yes, I'm excited to wrap this one up for our first season of the TNT Review. Indeed. Next week, we will wrap it up, as we said, and then we will give you some information um, on what season two of the TNT review is going to look like. Yep. Stay tuned. Spoiler alert. It's probably going to be another cartoon that we talk way too long about. But, you know, as long as everybody (laughs) seems to be on board with it, but that's just going to be the nature of a review show anyway. So. And a good review show. I mean, you know, like I'm not going to listen to like a two minute review on something. I want some depth, some meat on the bone. And I think that's what we give. That's what we try to give anyway. Indeed. Indeed. So did you have any final comments on this episode? No, I just really thought it was funny that you said Sam Rockwell. And now it like occurs to me that I should know who that is. And I realized it's the guy that played wild bill in the green mile and stuff like that. So I was like, Oh, that's why his voice sounded so familiar. Yeah. So I'm, I'm happy that I put together that I know him from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. He was also in the American version of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just really, really funny actor, but um, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up here. Then we thank you all for listening to another episode. Tune in again on Tuesdays for the TNT review as we give you our thoughts on our favorite television shows. With that, we bid you adieu. Have a good uh, day or whatever time it is you're listening to this.